Hello, and welcome to Ludicrously Specific, and specifically, our monthly wrap-up of what we've been watching. My name's Doug, and my favorite film based on a heavy rain event is Burning Bright, about a woman, a tiger, and an impending hurricane. Uh, and my name's Steve, and my favorite uh, movie based around uh, an extreme weather event is Airplane, uh, which has a very, very, very big thunderstorm. Well done. Okay, and my name is Darren, and my favourite movie around a extreme weather event is Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. <laughs> my second choice. Valid. Valid. I'll take that. Well, I knew it was valid. That's yes. why. <laughs> we'll allow it. It's valid because yeah. I made it valid. <laughs> and I'd happily watch that uh, triple feature. So, yeah, well done to you. Yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah, so we're a, a little behind where we intended to be in terms of having these out the first Wednesday of the month, but I assume a fair few of our listeners are in New Zealand and may or may not have experienced their own meteorological event uh, <laughs> things, and ho- hopefully not too many of you are the worst for wear. I know a couple of people who are, and um, much apologies to y'all, and um, not, yeah, I'm not was, taking blame, I it should was, say. He, it was an interesting it's, it's couple of weeks, weather-wise, for people who are not New Zealand, for people oh, listening to us, uh, the words Cyclone Gabrielle will be around for a while, because that cyclone, she was testy. She, she had yeah. a sting in her tail. That was... I mean, the the strongest cyclone I can remember of forty five plus years of my memory in New Zealand. So, serious. and as as a result of this, I've been um, every day now. I've been watching a YouTube weather channel, a New Zealand weather channel, um, and there's there's about three or four um, hurricanes and just coming up in the next couple of weeks yes, and uh, yeah. it's just uh, in Vanuatu oh, so, so you're, oh you're watching coming attractions yeah Vanuatu's been hit very hard yeah, yeah and and um, and so we're getting them from that way and we're getting them from the yeah. other way and so and there's sometimes a lot, yeah and there's yeah. a lot we could talk about that but this is a movie pod yeah, so <laughs> while climate change destroys our way of life let's keep <laughs> amusing ourselves to death what, and, would we, uh, what would we do without doug to keep us on the rails <laughs> that's right so pray um, that we never have to find speak, speaking of keeping people on the rails darren what was your first choice oh i'm i'm oh, going, sure, going first sure. yes right. you are sure. so right tell me down. something that you've watched in the last month that was awesome or interesting right well both of those things it's um all, all three it's um a uh, a <laughs> there, there were three but that's Mass, okay Mass is not our strong suit <laughs> uh, dark secret of harvest home it's a mini series but what i've certainly watched it as a movie uh from 1978 directed by leo pin and wow, um, it stars. So this was a television miniseries. This is a television miniseries, and um, it stars Betty Davis and other people. Uh, Renee Aubergenois is in there. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it's really good. It's um, about a a family who um, the um, marriage a little a little rocky. Um, looking for somewhere else to live, they find somewhere out in the sticks where this lovely old sinister, but not really sinister woman who guess Betty Davis right. <laughs> um, owns this house and 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 isn't wanting to uh, to sell it unless she gets the right people. 
and then she gets the right people. <laughs> and the right people are the wrong people. <laughs> wow, yeah, the right yeah. people are exactly the right people. It's sort of like um, it has a kind of Wicker Manny. Oh yes, okay. Kind of feel. It's very culty. Um, Betty Davis. Putting, I'm putting my papers down so you're not hearing the wrinkling. Yeah, I mean, there's we're, only one kind of rap in this show, and it goes like this. We're going to get cold. We're going to get warm. We're going to get hit by a geostorm. I had to shoot up and say, Sonny, you chose geostorm. Oh, no. Anyway, wow. let's get back to Betty Davis. Wow. Oh, my God. Uh, I don't know what to say now. It's hard to follow a geostorm rap out of nowhere. That's the thing about climate change. You never know what to expect. Welcome to the future. You've been hit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a very very good, very chilling movie, and it doesn't do. And, and I I tend to say this quite a lot, but I I try and watch films which are a little bit out left of center, and it doesn't do exactly what you expect it will. It's um, the the hero characters change throughout the episode as to who you're actually following. Um, it's, it does, it's, it turns out to be a very um, kind of midsummer feel and for the fact that, but it's only the, the women are the matriarchal part of the, of the town so they have more power for whatever reason i'm sure for a moment i thought you meant midsummer murders and i was like <laughs> no midsummer is a oh, yeah, yeah, 24 yeah. film okay yeah, that's yeah. it midsummer despite being a 1970 something tv miniseries it's, yeah um, well that's it well and, and it's, and How it's you come based on this? a book um i stumbled across it many many years ago and and just um Looked at it and uh, found some reviews and thought, well, that looks great, but never really pulled the trigger. And then a, um, a podcast that I listened to, uh, Colors of the Dark, uh, Alric Kane and Rebecca McKendry, hashtag, you're fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and we still love Glorious. Nice. <laughs> we, we definitely do. <laughs> it's, um, uh, but they, uh, I think it was uh, Rebecca McKendry, Oh, it might have been both of them have seen it, or one saw it first and then the other. Um, they sp spoke it up, and I thought, well, what the hell? It's time to time to watch, yeah. and it's it's great. It's uh, off YouTube, so it's not the best quality, and I can imagine I would only enjoy it way more if it wasn't a good quality DVD yeah. rip. Even would be nice, um, but it's it's really good. It's three hours just fly by it's um and it's it does leave you um it is chilling it is disturbing and i love that stuff <laughs> it's, no, it's good because i mean a lot of tv stuff from the, the 70s i find some of it has not held up well because it is such a product of that decade which is always you know especially some of the horror ones there is they're, they're not quite as relatable mm. when you look at them from 40 years mm. down the track because there's there's a lot of of what was going on at the time and you really you know if we only would have been you know four or five years old at the time so some of that maybe not mm. correlating so much to, to 2023 but i mean weird example i looked back because i was trying to work out an episode based around guest stars from the love boat and i decided to try and watch an episode <laughs> of the love boat. 
Because, you know, because this there. is what we do here. Yes, <laughs> One of my friends flicks had every episode of The Love Boat, and I found an amazing website where someone had collated and put in alphabetical order in a video for 45 minutes every Love Boat star. And I thought, oh, well, this is an episode. The video of the, in the porthole. The porthole. Oh. Someone had, had spent months coming up with it, and oddly enough, not Darren, which was uh, <laughs> quite surprising. Although he could probably do one on Fantasy Island at some stage, I'm sure. And I tried watching an episode of that to see... Because I hadn't seen this uh, for so for decades, and I remember it being incredibly popular, everybody watched it, and I have to say, it's aged poorly. <laughs> uh, it's It really is a must-watch TV 40 years down the track, old episodes of The Love Boat. So, I mean, I'm, I'm probably offending some Love Boat fans here, which are just, you know, but queuing does, up the episode of Charo yeah. right now. But, uh, what it does it do, and, Steve, and, um, yeah. and I'm sure I've problem. mentioned this before, is I, I learnt story structure from The Love Boat, because... It has set up um, the conflicty thing, uh, so set up and then happiness, conflict, resolve. So yeah, and it three does act it, structure. And it three does it structure. three times because there's three, three stories, stories in the, the episode. So you've seen it nine, nine Unfortunately, times. Yeah. Whatever episode <laughs> I picked, the story was was. I mean, I'd forgotten about the such thing as a laugh track. I hadn't heard a laugh track. On a, sh- a oh, show oh, for wow. years. When's the last years, time you watched Natural Burn Killers? Oh, <laughs> Ooh, yeah, quite a while back. <laughs> not one of my favourites, as you're aware. But yes. uh, but yeah, the laugh track was disconcerting for a start. And did then... you not like the laugh track on Hardcore? On Hardcore, well, the, the laugh track was actually me screaming. That's a scream track because you know I hate Hardcore. I got stuck watching it again. I, I just can't watch that movie. I'm sorry, but <laughs> but yeah, the as people say, some of these are the. 70s TV movies and TV series, some of them have held up incredibly well. I mean, especially if you look at like the creepy 70s stuff, like the Sapphire and Steel, for instance, I oh, think yeah. still works today, even though you're looking at threadbare sets that look like they're going to fall down if you breathe on them too hard. Well, mm. I, I have a lot of time for the, for the 70s TV movies. I mean, I mentioned mm. one, that one with William Shatner. And, yes, yes. Which I still highly recommend. Um, as an aside, have you guys been watching Poker Face? Yeah, um, I've seen the first four episodes, and what's really interesting about it is how much it made me sort of retrospectively respect those long-running old serials that just relied on a simple formula. Because those of you who don't know what Poker Face is, it's Ryan Johnson's new series, series starring Natasha Leon as a woman who happens to have the ability. She's essentially a human lie detector. Or, more more appropriately for her, says bullshit almost in a Tourette's-like <laughs> way anyway, time yes. she hears somebody lie. And episode from episode, she seems to stumble into another person who's been killed and that she winds up embroiled in a mystery. She's as dangerous as Jessica Fletcher. I was going to say, yeah, it yeah. does right. sound like bullshit she said. Yeah. But, but it, <laughs> it, it is, it is, except she's... Um, She's on a road. She's on the run, so she's in a different yeah. place every time. So you don't have to wonder like why this little. It's like, not little as town. Tobo. No, has I, a, no. You can see, yeah, yeah. see the words forming on my lips. <laughs> I could see your your mouth getting ready to whistle the sad Hulk theme. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It does. There's like lots of those, isn't it? There's kung fu and yeah. 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 Well, I think like Perry Mason and Columbo were all the ones kind of that were being referred to in the talk around. Oh, this yeah. one is just like you know the mystery of the week. Well, kind and, of and thing. Columbo, and... Um, they use the same font for the opening credits of Poker Face. They use the Columbo font. The oh, yellow right. Font. I knew that it was a reference to something, but I didn't know what it was a reference to. Yeah. But it was too specific not to be a and reference. And she, that makes uh, sense. Um, I've heard um, someone. In fact, I think it was Elric Kane on a um, one of his podcasts mentioning that. Um, 
that she was doing an almost Humphrey Bogart-type cadence, but bullshit, it's Peter Falk. She's doing a Columbo. Right, she's doing yeah. a Columbo. She really is. It's, um, but she nails it. I've never heard anyone give a more convincing interior monologue externally. Like, she's talking to herself for, like, half the thing, and any other actor it would feel like such a contrivance and it never wa- it just feels mm. like she just wanders around mumbling the whole time and that's who she is and rather she's than so likable she's <laughs> you're entirely on her side yeah it's yeah it's a great great show well, if i'm if i'm not mistaken she's from russian doll am i correct yes. i haven't yes. seen that russian, I had seen russian, russian doll, russian doll yeah. was one of the few netflix series where and i watched Orange the first the episode and then blitz through in the in the space of a couple right. of days where i've i've had a lot of trouble with tv series because quite often I'll pick one that looks interesting, I'll watch an episode, and then I'll look online and it's been cancelled. Right. And left on a cliffhanger, and I give up on it. So I've really become a little reticent to dive into the series, but Russian Doll, the yeah. first season, charged on through it. Haven't gone to the second because it finished so nicely, it wrapped up so well. Yeah. Wasn't really sure where they're going to go with it. I'm gonna I think it's a different conceit in the second one, but I haven't seen So I should probably uh, give that a go. Suddenly we seem anyway. to be talking about television. I'm going to mention yes. something for about... Let's see. A show um, I've just heard about called Rec. It's six episodes. It's R E C W R E C K. Okay. It's um, uh, the uh, the. It's a a well. It starts off as a slasher killer. It's um, this um, this woman is running, being chased by a, a man in a duck costume. Um, <laughs> I'm already intrigued. <laughs> and uh, she, uh, what it is, is she, um, she's leaving work for the day. She steps out of the um, uh, her perfume counter, walks outside, and it turns out that she's on a great big fucking ship. So, um, okay. and then all of a sudden, a duck man, um, quacky, as it turns out. Um, this is starts, in Howard the Duck, Blood and Honey. Starts, no. <laughs> <laughs> starts chasing her with a, a knife, and um, and in the end she complications um, ensue. Um, well, <laughs> yes. And I so mean, more, she, more than um, once already been described with the the, the mysterious duck corners ship. her right at the at the mast. She um, does the fingers to him and jumps over the side, and then we have wreck. And so the story opens with the um, her brother going undercover to find out what's happened so he um <laughs> you only more than six episodes to work out what happened in that with that premise <laughs> <laughs> well it's there's so much going on and it's a re what it's, network it's is a, the sun or streaming or what is it um uh, i found it oh, okay. um <laughs> it will be on it will be on <laughs> right. streaming service it's somewhere. it's it's about actually, it's about um okay. it might be on hulu actually uh, okay. eventually um, but it's so, uh, which means Disney will probably get it. Yeah, but okay, it's yep. it's a comedy horror type thing. It's um, made and set in um, Scotland. Well, um, so there's a fair amount of Scottish characters. So we won't understand the dialogue. No, that's and subtitles. And it's <laughs> also a it's also a lot of it seems to be a class system type story as well because you've got. Um, the guy who is um, going on board undercover is a um, is working on the ship. There's a upstairs, um, a downstairs mother, thing yeah, going on. Very much that type of thing, and there's also um, some uh, stabby, gory killings and things. And uh, it's, it's cool. very it's... funny, very clever. It's six, only six episodes. I watched it 
all in one go. They're about 55 minutes each, so it was a long all in one yeah, go. It's a binge watch, so. But it was really good, and nice. I'd be very. In, and, and there may well be a second season. Right. So right. And it may debut before the end of this podcast. We're going to watch this nice and tight, and then yeah. it's like, fuck that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to talk about uh, one of our long hauls um, because I haven't really watched a huge amount of movies recently because. First of all, I was working quite a bit, and then I wasn't working, and because when I'm not working and on holiday, I just switch everything off. So I spent the last three days walking across beaches and drinking margaritas and, and having a pretty fucking good time. And so rubbing it in our face. Exactly, with all those photos I kept sitting back going, having a lovely time, fuck you. <laughs> uh, but uh, before we I headed off, we did do our traditional Darren and I's joint birthday marathon. Which is For the a first time in first about time three in, years. Yeah, a couple of years now yeah, at least. So yeah. um, normally each year we pick three movies each and then we switch the closer so one person gets the seventh movie. It was uh, Darren's turn this year. So he got the opener and the closer. But I picked a couple of ones this time based on what I looked like good movies for me. Not, no, I wasn't looking for Godfrey Ho because I've already done that in Beanie Fest. I've done a lot of off-the-wall movies. And I went with one which was, was a bit of a for me. was on the wall. Um, didn't quite work all the way, but I have to recommend parts of it. It's, it's the, the curate saying, parts of it were excellent. Uh, it's called Fear is the Key. Yes. Uh, directed by Michael Tuchner. Tuchner, I think that is. Uh, from oh, 1972. surely that would be a Tuchner. Tuchner. His name is Michael, anyway. And he directed we just call him Mike. 1972, and it's an Alistair MacLean adaption. Uh, which was an unusual one for me. I've never read any Alistair MacLean. I've, I know the name, of course, because he was an incredibly prolific author. Well, as it turns out, fear is the key. Fear apparently was yeah. the key. Uh, and it is uh, stars uh, one of my favourite kind of cult actors, Barry Newman, um, yeah. star of Vanishing Point, uh, and along with Susie, Susie Kendall and John Vernon playing an excellent bastard, um, because John Vernon does play an excellent bastard. And... And... and in a very early role, in fact, his with first hair. on-screen role with hair, Sir Ben Kingsley pre knighthood, right. yeah. But with hair <laughs> and looking like he's—he's he's definitely you can see he's the stage actor at that stage. He's—he's he's quite I think an intense. It was his actor. first, it was his first role? credited role. I think yeah. I think he'd had a tiny bit before that, and after this, he didn't do anything for years afterwards until Gandhi, in fact. Yeah. So well, he probably did heaps on stage. He was yeah. yeah he yeah. turned back, went to star on stage, and then it was three years before he uh, he did Gandhi. Uh, the uh, to give it a little summation off uh, right off uh, letterbox here uh, a man becomes a criminal in Louisiana after a plane crash during a fight with local police he escapes custody and kidnaps the daughter of a local millionaire now that kind of sums up the first 25 minutes of the movie which are awesome which are incredible <laughs> because we hear this plane crash with Barry Newman just from one end of a, of a radio his, his sister is on a plane bringing something across the ocean and then they're shot down and he hears the whole thing on on his radio we don't see any of that we don't know what they're carrying and then we cut forward five years and basically the guy that looked like our hero is very much the anti-hero the classic 70s anti-hero he's he turns up in a small louisiana town he basically bullies his way into getting alcohol on a day that you can't get alcohol you can't get any hard liquor on a sunday in this this parish yeah. and the cops turn up he beats the shit out of the cops and a car chase breaks out. And this was what caught me when I looked at the trailer of it. It was the most boring car chase, car chase oh, I have oh, ever seen. I slept. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 
20 full minutes it's of a car chase. Awesome. And it is so phenomenal. Good, yeah. 70s cars, like big old 70s muscle cars mm. that used to go in a great in a straight line and not very good going around corners. If it's not and a death proof reference, I'd be surprised because it had real death proof. I seriously think that I guarantee that there was probably even the stunt drivers from them because I know mm. Tarantino for death proof got some of these classic 70s stunt drivers. Yeah. And put them in cars, including the one that rolled a car when he wasn't supposed to, and yeah. said, "Well, Quentin, you put a roll cage in it. What were you expecting me to do?" So they <laughs> thought he was—he'd killed himself. No, he just drove off the road and rolled because that's what he did. Yeah. And it is a real classic '70s car chase through Louisiana, jumping onto barges, driving inches away from you know driving into the bayou. Yeah. It's it's very blues brotheries at times because there's every car cop car that joins this chase you know is is <laughs> yeah. going to come to a sticky and preferably in in a, a lake. But and uh, wouldn't it be nice if one of the Fast and Furious directors actually watched the this <laughs> film and saw how to actually show a car chase? I just don't know if they have the, the stunt drivers anymore because no. it's, yeah. it's CGI. You can do you can put it on a green screen and and have them act it and then everything happens behind like it's a video game, but. The just the the amount of times we went shit that guy nearly died, yeah. And that's a car chase was phenomenal, and oddly enough, after twenty minutes that car chase, it, then the movie slows down and becomes a heist film, and it becomes quite an interesting heist film, and then it drags a little and becomes a little bit more kind of. So what you mean is after I woke up after the <laughs> really after the car chase, car chase, we got into the mechanics of a heist <laughs> of an underwater yeah. heist, and it became to me almost like a Michael Crichton novel where Michael mm. Crichton has, and a really interesting premise. And then spends four chapters describing mm-hmm. every bit of science that leads up to it because we got and J.R.R. See... Tolkien was describing the mountains and the mountains and having four yeah. pages of a poem That's before right. we got back. But we had very long stretches of setting up this underwater heist and giving us little bits here and there as to why Barry Newman's character was this obsessed with getting to this plane. And but it feels ultimately like a, a spy novel or it something. Really does. Well, which yeah. you you have no sense of it being that in the first mm, twenty five no. minutes. It's just like this guy who's off his rocker, who is you know. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, just that, that's what Alistair MacLean writes is those yeah. types of things. Exactly. So. And everyone was sort of commenting afterwards. I wonder what the 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 car chase was like in the book. It was probably one and a half paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> and he got the car and drove and jumped through something and was away. And this. They took that, whatever was in that book, and they expanded on it. And then, of course, as I say, the second half is probably going to lose some people because it is a little slower, a little more a little more mechanical, I guess, is the best way I can describe it. It's just we are going through the the, the proce- process of this very convoluted plan that could have gone wrong mm. a million different ways to the get... The last 20 minutes, though, I think, is really... The last 20 minutes is really solid. Excellent, so. and really, I mean, there's some great... I mean, Ben Kingsley is coming to his own down there, mm. and um, John Vernon... At that point, is you know he is he is that He's, guy you want to see his comeuppance, but you really go wow this is this is somewhat of a comeuppance even for him this yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah maybe even he didn't deserve that because he's a prick but ooh what's happening right now and if you don't know John, John Vernon specializes in sort of oily slimy businessman type mm. characters and also he was the the dean from mm. Animal, Animal House, House yeah. oh right yeah. Um, but yeah, he's just. I mean, he's tremendous. And can... Charlie Varick is the um, the mob banker. I think I haven't seen Charlie Varick yet. Oh so. wow! Okay, that has to change. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's long story. I actually bought it on DVD and then realized I'd accidentally bought a four by three DVD. And then I I've never been like, oh, then it came out on Blu-ray. But I'm like, 
I'm not going to buy it twice without having seen That's it. That's fine. And then I have it. Yes. We can do okay. something. Yeah, I'll like end up on a mini um, John Vernon um, retrospective of Last Curve because it was in the Outlaw Josie of Wales as well, once again playing it. Which I also haven't seen. And definitely you should see that. And oddly enough, that's on Tubi there at the moment. If you got I've gotten Tubi, it on DVD. I really have no excuse. And no, I think it's the proper it. aspect ratio. Oh, there you so go. So I have doubly no excuse. <laughs> oddly enough, the, the Tubi version of Outlaw uh, Joseph Wells was phenomenal. It would be, be a 4K. It was, a, it was beautiful. I mean, I, I don't know how high their definition goes. Because I had to go up to 720. It looked 1080p to me. Right. So, mm. admittedly, my eyes sometimes go, hey, that's great. And it's fine. And three people I mean, there's a lot of factors other than <laughs> yeah. just resolution. But yeah. we won't get into that. Because I could it's, talk about that a long time. And everybody could... Good fall asleep, Matt. But as I say, like it's couches. couches. As I say, if if you want a, a movie which has got one of the best seventies car chases I've mm-hmm. seen, and I, at the end of the day, I wasn't unhappy. I put it on. I wasn't happy. Yeah. I chose it because I thought it was an interesting film. As I say, the middle third puddles along a little bit. It picks up at the end, but it's 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 a good sandwich. There's there's excellent bread on both sides. Maybe a slightly thin scraping of of the filling in the middle, but yeah, that that bread's great. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that analogy doesn't work because <laughs> you actually eat the, i don't know how you eat sandwiches i like carbs okay i like bread oh the bread's done now i'll start eating the filling oh the filling's done now there's another piece of bread, bread. bread you great. actually hold them the like 90 I, degrees in the other direction i like to find the positives in it even a bad sandwich if it's the open sandwich forget the analogy i withdraw the comments it's a deconstructed sandwich that's just bread basically um i'm gonna go with a film that is nothing like those two. Okay, that's um, enough from yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a Venezuelan film that played at the Film Fest in 2010. I'm not even sure if I've seen a Venezuelan film before. I'd have to look. Um, this film's called A Useful Life. It's barely a feature. It's about 63 minutes, and it's set at Venezuela's Cinematheque. And it's been released by a documentary distribution company, but they say at the start it's not a documentary, which is very confusing. The star is a guy named Jorge, who works at the Venezuelan Film Institute, and is played by a guy named Jorge, who works at the Venezuelan Film Institute. The same um, guy? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. And, 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 and that was a bit of a coincidence. And so, so the, the first half of it, it's all black, it's black and white, it's four by three, and it roughly feels like... It's a documentary about a decaying cinematech that's trying to work out what to program for their finished thing that's disappointed that only 12 people showed up for the new screening of this, that's worried that the print isn't going right, that is doing the reading of the sub the um, subtitles because the print they've received doesn't have them. You know, just... And, and it's very leisurely, um, slightly droll, but not even, like like super droll like it's not like trying to be incredibly funny it's just a bit gentle and a bit sad and a bit you know like this is what life is like caring about celluloid in 2010 when that's not really an intuitive thing for a lot of people at this point in history um and it's be you know and there's you know this character is of course besotted with old and classic cinema and i think i would have been perfectly fine with that film and I'm going to spoil it slightly because it's such a it's not an easy film to track down a and b like I think it kind of needs the sell, which is that at some point uh it just shifts registers entirely and then becomes like a classic period romance, and that's the joy of it is watching this guy who's kind of sort of not really an actor, but suddenly the camera angle's starting to change and that um and shape shift into this 
other thing. And it's, I mean, admittedly, it's 63 minutes. You could still probably cut 10 minutes out of it. It's barely a feature. But for what it was in terms of just, like, a really unexpected, like, um, celebration of cinema, it, it hit the spot for me. Mm-hmm. So that's mine. And, and because I was terse on that, I'll add my television one, which is The Last of Us. Ah, so okay. which I, I don't know if you guys have been watching, but um, that's game, as dark but... a genre really. The um, final episode of the first season drops on Monday on Neon, which I'm watching it legitimately on. And um, no aspersions cast on anybody, of course. <laughs> All um, the aspersions. <laughs> oh, yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's uh, extraordinary. And the, um, the, the creator of the game is the showrunner. But there's some episodes that make some major deviations from the game. And one in particular with Nick Offerman and uh, Murray Bartlett uh, from the White Lotus uh, as a uh, gay couple who have, who are apocalypse survivors that is up there in the three best hours of television I've ever seen. Wow. Uh, Full stop. It's a terrific episode. It's the third one. And it's, if you get that far in, you're not into it. And there's some people who have complained because that's, a little bit different from the game, but um, if you haven't seen the game, I mean, uh, we you'd have no problem getting into that. I'm assuming. I think I think so. Yeah, probably, probably yeah. more so because I think you have no expectations if you go and mm. yeah. Well, I, and there are some huge. If you've played the game, you, there there are some huge, really big narrative surprises that will be spoiled for you because you know how it plays out. Because the way the series starts versus where it is mm. a half hour in is not where yeah. you think it's going to be. And yeah. um, and Pedro Pascal is just um, so terrific in this. I just um, voted in a movie poll called The Scandies, whose results just came out. And I, it's a point-driven thing. And I gave him heaps of points for his turn in The Unbearable Weight and Massive Talent, mm-hmm. where he's just like the nicest and funniest guy ever. And it's just such an adorable, like aspirational bromance goals kind of role. And he is just the complete opposite in here he's just like an implacable like completely broken but also completely badass ex-military who's okay well i need to figure out what's going on so i'm just gonna dig my knife in between your kneecap and that and if you don't tell me i'm gonna pop it out and it's like i didn't even know that was a thing you could are you allowed to do that yeah so um yeah and and then um uh bella ramsey perhaps the um, actually, I'd, I don't know how she identifies. I don't know if she had what her what their gender identification is, but um, is incredible as the young counterpart who follows him along through the um, what becomes the trudge across the post-apocalyptic America. Um, so yeah, those are my recommendations. Nice. All right, all right, round two, round two, ding ding. Okay. Now, this one is um, just a little bit of preamble. This is one that I... Um, actually, I think I did suggest we do as part of a, um, a three-movie setup of uh, Ludicrously Specific. Um, this would come under the um, Shakespearean um, behind-stage type uh, movie. This is a film called A Double Life. 1947, director George Cukor, who you may have heard of before, mm-hmm. and starring Ronald Coleman, Eben O'Brien, and Shelley Winters. Wow, is she hot in this movie. <laughs> wow. You can see uh, it's... Uh, she essentially had all shapes throughout her career. <laughs> it's, um, 
hey, why not? Because <laughs> she was great in every every single one of them. Um, so this is a story about a um, a celebrated theatre actor, um, played by Ronald Colvin, who he's um, can get very lost in a role. So he. Uh, when playing a, a comedy role, he's great to be around. I'm putting my notes away. Crinkle, crinkle, <laughs> crinkle. Uh, Russell. Um, so he's he's really good to be around when he's in upbeat things. And then um, and he's acting with his um, his ex-wife. And then then they. Uh, they're trying to find a, a, a thing, a vehicle to do together, and he gets suggested that he play Othello. And um, <laughs> and so you can, I think you're all ahead of me here, yeah. that he might not be the best mm, person to yeah. be around during that time. And uh, he meets Shelley Winters, and has a um, has an affair with her. And she could possibly start to become the Desdemona of the um, of his real world, right. as, as he and he the the show is so successful that it's now running for about two years, and things are he he's right. it's a it's not a happy good time movie, <laughs> no, it but it's yeah. an extremely good thriller, and it's really about the it is a character study. It's about the crumbling of this man's psyche, right. and. It's, I mean, it's kind of snakes on a plane. You kind of get the idea is where, where this this shit is hidden. <laughs> but it's, it's really good though. It's, cool. um, I I put it up there as one of the uh, one of the best I've seen this year. It's, is there a good release of it out there? Is, is this yes, one of these yeah. YouTube kind it's, of like two forty p? No, no, it's um, it's available on Blu ray. Oh, cool. Okay. And it's yeah, very very good indeed. All right, all right, your turn. Okay, sorry, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, I thought there'd be three more movies going. Oh, but uh, <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, because I, oddly enough, have another three more movie movies. about actors, oh, um, and you'll probably guess which one it was because it was I one am. of your picks. Uh, in fact, it was our closer this year from the birthday movies. It was actually a movie I had found a copy of some years ago, meaning to put on uh, as B Fest because I'm not like to put familiar easy to digest movies on when I do a full 24 hours so something that's coming on at one in the morning that's not going to be too challenging that's not going to be you know soul destroying and oddly enough I couldn't get a decent copy I got a half decent copy and never looked around for it again never actually played it never actually watched it and the moment that the tall guy appeared on my screen I was the happiest boy in the room because I haven't seen it was a good birthday gift because I haven't seen the tall guy in oh 25 I've never seen it no, you didn't. It came you out in 1989. 1989. So I probably saw it in early 1990s on... Mm. Well, actually, it was probably... No, probably mid-1990s. I remember seeing it with, with Dawn when we were watching a lot of movies in the first few years of our now, now on 30-year relationship. Uh, and we just hit 20th wedding anniversary last week. So. Congratulations. Yay, go me. Yay. Woohoo! And hang on. Twinkle, ding, 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 glassware. <laughs> yes, to my lovely wife. Um, and we... When we got to that movie, we were six movies deep. It was pretty much the perfect end to the movie to the to the the mm-hmm. night because, as I say, it's easy to digest. It's an incredibly likable movie. It's just 
it's just fun. It's it's one of Darren's warm hugger movies. If you haven't seen it, it stars Jeff Goldblum as the tall guy, and Rowan Atkinson as Rowan Atkinson because he's a bastard. He's a bastard. He's a comedian who is basically doing the, what on his, stage his set. It's actual Rowan Atkinson stand-up comedy from the nineteen eighties is what the, his he's shown on there. And of course, behind the scenes, it's it's very what was the Larry what's his name show. Uh, Curb your enthusiasm, or yeah, so, I don't know what's Larry what's Sanders. Uh, Larry Sanders show oh, very yeah. much, and the, he's this amazing comedian, and everybody loves him. And then he walks off stage, and he is the biggest piece of shit around. And it gives you that backstage where everything is not quite what it seems. And of course, Jeff Goldblum is his, is a straight man, is his, his tall, silent guy that you know makes Rowan Atkinson's character look hilarious. And it's basically a rom com because. Good old James Goldblum is he's he's unlucky in love and we get to see that through a, a hilarious little montage of his previous girlfriends. Pump me Mr. Petrol. Pump me Mr. Petrol. One of the most <laughs> sex positive British films you will ever see. Oh very, very. Yeah. and then he, he runs into you know, one of my favourite on screen crushes, uh, Emma. Emma Thompson. And this might be the movie reason why. This probably is one of the movie reasons why, and she is just phenomenal in this movie. She is gorgeous. She is hilarious. And I've found her hilarious for decades now. You see her, whenever I see her on appearing on a, a late show or something like that, yep. even, no matter what she's doing, I'll watch it. And one of the best little clips I saw from um, Stephen Colbert last year was just her and Stephen talking about puppies that needed to be adopted. And it's Emma Thompson playing with puppies. And she's hilarious in that as well. And the cutest thing I've ever seen. And basically she is... No, Jeff immediately falls head over heels in love with her. But because he's, let's say, socially awkward, it's if it was an American film, there'd probably be lots of kind of slapsticky and there'd be the, the, the funny best friend that tries to push him. And it's not. It's just Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum himself around, mm-hmm. trying to get a, on a date with Emma Thompson, who is a character who knows what she wants and knows when to get it. She has, As she says in their first, at the end of their first date, she... Most, you know, there's, you know, I, a lot of women won't go to bed with a man on the first date. You, However, I'm not one of those women. I'm, I'm not going to waste three dates to find out that it's terrible. So let's so do the sex so first. see you tomorrow. And <laughs> it leads, of course, in that stage to probably, it's probably one of my favourite sex scenes of all time. The most destructive sex they scene just dis- ever. joyfully destroy a bedroom. <laughs> uh, and it is Unbelievably funny, and I actually use it as more or less than in Dolomite. Oh, uh, Dolomite! Dolom- yeah, probably more. Dolomite definitely took down a bed. This took down everything. I mean, this yeah, took okay. down. This is just took out the uh, the painting on the paintings wall. on the walls, pianos. Jeff Goldman's the, head getting slammed a, um, into a piano. A half-eaten bowl of cereal gets uh, slapped yeah, toast, on the ass cheeks. Yes, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I actually used it as an example because it was at the time on Twitter. There was a great debate going around on the are sex scenes necessary in a film, and you know. And I had to point this out that, yes, there's definitely, I've seen many exploitation movies where it's uncomfortable because you know that the actress involved probably didn't want to be mm. doing that sex scene and there was probably half a dozen guys behind the camera and the producer mm. forcing it. This is the complete opposite of that. It is just an incredibly fun, joyful, and for a British film, having a, I can only think of really two or three British films that have that sex positivity in them. And the other one was, um, what was the, there was the one about... Um, the the brothel back in the nineteen eighties with uh, oh with Julie with Julie, uh, Julie Walters Julie Walters personal services. personal services which is another great British comedy isn't that 
But you go back 10 or 15 years before that, the British were doing these teehee sex comedies where, right. you know, Robin Asquith, you know, whoops, where's my truncheon on a console and things like that. And it's the, the change to that film is... It's, You've I got to mention Geraldine James's, oh, Geraldine James' uh, co- contribution to this movie in terms of sex positivity. Oh, exactly. She's, she's described in her first voice in the voice, first voiceover by Jeff Goldblum this is my roommate she's an infomaniac and in most films you'd be like whoops that's that's not but she's she's not so much an infomaniac it's just someone that really really loves sex and it just escalates until at one point you know four there's people in a bed four people in a bed you know there's 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 like <laughs> he goes in to talk to her and like a hand reaches out from the bed and then another <laughs> one reaches out from the other side <laughs> the the opening scenes her, her latest conquest is, is walking around naked and of stands directly next to um, Jeff Goldblum, who's trying to have breakfast, and of course also has allergies, leading to the you know, hilarious scene of him sneezing on some guy's junk. Not shown, shown <laughs> behind, and he's he's so British about it. He's just like that's fine, and just goes for a paper towel because you know you don't want to be rude. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, and also. Um... Bearing the lead a little bit here, this is written by Richard, Cur- Richard New Zealander Richard, Richard Curtis. Curtis. Yep. And I, in my Wait, opinion, Richard Curtis is a New Zealander, the Love well, Actually guy. Yep. Well, we have to take blame for him. The Blackadder guy. <laughs> but the Blackadder guy is who we. we... Wait, he did Blackadder and Love Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Did he get hit by a bus somewhere <laughs> in the middle? Last well, time I watched Love Actually, and when it was a crew, I think it must have been a Valentine's movie, and I was slightly drunk. I didn't mind it, although oh, that was a so long time ago. Slightly so. addled and drunk. Yes, I was way. slightly drunk on a, after Valentine's but Day date. Anyway, so. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah and I, like, one of the things that brought us together was our hatred of Love Actually. <laughs> well, so, Richard Curtis, important in this is probably, in my opinion, it's probably his best movie script. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's got a bit of bite to it, a bit of nastiness, which... Love actually has a little bit of sadness, but it's all kind of mawkish. Yes. The, uh, this is just very, very funny. Yeah. Um, it's directed by Mel Smith. Oh, whose who's tiny little cameo appearance is just joyous. Uh, so Mel Smith is uh, a, a British sketch comedian okay, who's yeah. um, much revered and Mel sadly and gone. Griff, Mel Smith and Griff Rhys-Jones, who did a long-running series. Yeah. And once again, the, the two guys that, you know, redefine kind of you know what was a straight man and what wasn't because they could switch on a dime and they were both hilarious i mean griffrey jones was probably better at the straight man but just that team worked so well and his i don't uh, did he direct anything else i mean i, I don't oh yeah um bean the movie oh okay <laughs> that's a, a little broader than what we're looking at yeah here, so is bean actually part of rowan atkinson's stand-up thing or is that a completely different yes. thing Okay, because I didn't actually he, understand like it, where um, Bean and Rowan Atkinson stand up. do a lot of kind of almost mime type comedy. If you well, look they back even in showed a little bit of the Bean um, uh, setup mm. in the in the tall guy where he's he's getting changed into his the, the into his, into a swimming costume on the beach in front of a. Um, a he's trying to do it surreptitiously because there's a guy sitting on a on a chair. Um, on a on a deck chair, and it turns out a beach chair, I suppose. Well, a chair that's yeah, on the chair, beach. Chair. Yeah, one of those things. And it turns out that the the guy gets up and grabs his cane and walks away. So which it's, was was a, a, a very fairly early being because I I think he did take a lot of a stand up comedian, uh, you know, little sketches and translated those are the ones that had no no dialogue because as he said, when you do something with just dialogue free you can send that to every mm. country because everyone knows the concept of, of the slapstick they don't have to i mean his, his early comedy is still hilarious and a lot of things were just as 
his little bit where he was the devil and welcoming people to hell. And I watched that sketch many times, and I still remember. Some... Anyone who saw the life of Monty Python's Life of Brian, are you here? <laughs> Atheists, it, it you must be feeling a bit God, silly now. <laughs> it turns out God can't take a joke. <laughs> yes. So his, his, I mean, his sketch comedy is great, but just, just the fact that he was willing mm. to do it where he was this beloved comedian that's been five years on the West End and he's just a complete and utter piece of shit at the back. For instance, the little scene where he he fires Jeff Goldblum and then has a tiny party beforehand where he brings out the smallest bottle of champagne and proceeds to drink, pour, it, drink himself. it himself mm-hmm. and rather than pour it into other people. But that's quite nice and just pours it into his own. And it's, he, he just really mocks himself there. And I, 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 I'm, having worked with stand-up comedians in a comedy club, I know a lot of stand-up comedians sometimes have let's say issues and, yes. and by some comedians I mean all fucking comedians <laughs> have many issues I've seen comedians come off stage and come up to the bar where I was and just go was there anything I was saying funny I'm like did you not hear them laughing hysterically mm. for the past 15 mm. minutes yeah but what I'd say that was funny all of it go back be funny fuck off <laughs> this is also the film that uh, suggests the musical version of Richard III mm. I, I have a hunch I'm gonna be king <laughs> oh yes I, I did bury the lead on the fact that it does culminate in a, a oh, musical version and I'm gonna wait you swallow your wine there of the Elephant Man, oh, and there's songs. I think songs. I told it. There's, you might have told me. There is songs, one, yeah. and it's unbelievable. Somewhere funny. up in heaven, <laughs> there's an angel with big ears. <laughs> I do definitely recommend that it's. It should be fairly easy to find. I mean, you know, as I say, I found it a few years ago, and I assume it's out by now on Blu-ray. It's got to be by now. So. If you if you're in the mood for a, just a laugh and you, you don't really you know you just want to switch off from from issues for a while and just have a fucking good laugh at Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum that's that's a massive mm, thumbs it's up. an endorsement yeah um, I know that I'm not the only person who's going to mention a martial arts film but I'm going to give you the option <laughs> to uh, hinge from the sublime to the ridiculous so I'm going to start with the sublime um, I had never seen the, oh, okay I'd only seen one King Who film before last month. I saw Come Drink With Me back in 2004 when I was, like, plowing through a bunch of martial arts films. Good fucking film. <laughs> it made li- very little impression on me, maybe of where I saw it, but I remember it feeling like, you know, it just didn't have as many fight scenes and it wasn't as... I rewatched like, it just recently and I really enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. So I just watched um, Raining in the Mountain, which is put out by uh, Eureka, Masters of Cinema, and I'd imported the Blu-ray. And I'd actually had this plan for this year. I'd had this idea that I was going to watch a bunch of my um, martial arts films in uh, chronological order of Chinese d- dynasties. Because <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, this could be a fun way to like knock out a bunch of films, but also like, get my head around Chinese history. Because, I, I, you know, it's 2,000 mm. plus years. And I have no idea. You know, I'll be watching some film and I'll think it's like set in 800 AD and then they'll mm. break guns out. I'm like, okay, I just... Yeah, you know, I, I, get, I don't know when technology hit China. I don't know how you can tell. And obviously, like, there are films that are very specifically about, like, certain uh, leaders or certain historical events. And then there are other films that just, you know, happen to be taking place at that. Like any genre, you can have Westerns that are, like, explicitly about the Civil War. Or you can have a Western that's just, like, it's just a bunch of guys and they're in the desert and they're yeah. mad at each yeah, other. Exactly. Um the eating something. <laughs> yeah, and um, and so the thing I got stymied on this is that I was going to start with Last Hurrah for Chivalry because it was going to be all films I owned, and then I put in the DVD that was from like nineteen ninety nine import four by three 
and was a pixel storm that looked like it had been ripped off YouTube. I just, I can't. And I, it's just come out on Blu-ray from Criterion. I'm like, I don't know. And then one day I'm like, fuck it, I'm putting on Raining in the Mountain. I've been, it's been staring at me for a while. And it had a, a sort of a strange reputation because um, some people were like, that's, you know, it's, a, it's an existential masterpiece. I'm like, that's not usually the phrase you use for an ass-kicking kung fu film. So I'm like, is this going to be kind of... You know, I was just trying to figure out the right mood for something where you don't know what's going to be. Um, so the setup for Raining in the Mountains is that it's set in a... Which has no rain in it. Um, uh, the trans, As I recall, the translation's not very good. Um, but the... Um, it's set in a monastery in the mountains, so that much is true. And the monastery, there's this very precious squirrel there, uh, or at least it's precious to two of the people who have been invited to the monastery to help in the picking of a new uh, head monk to replace the old head monk. And uh, one of them is a prominent businessman, and the other Oh, so you is... said scroll, did you? Scroll, yeah. Yeah, like... I thought you said squirrel. And when you said monk, <laughs> I thought, oh, well, that, that's, a, that's a chip off the end. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Um, so I know the American accent is a confusing one. Scroll. I heard scroll, Dave. I did um, not hear okay. scroll. Um, there are, Doug. There are, no, there are no chipmunks in this movie. Um, so... That you have the the businessmen and the magistrate, and they both both bring um, onsiders with them, and in theory they are both they're both here to help, of advise the abbot of the monastery who the his replacement will be. In practice, they're both here to steal the scroll. Um, so, it's kind of a heist movie. Um, I think it's about 54 minutes before the first actual blow is landed, but there's some very, like, kind of lengthily shot, like, kind of, the, the monastery itself is a, basically a character. It's almost like a labyrinth, how everything's laid out. Oh, wow. And, but also the humor of this, in a way, there's a lot of different feelings and ideas going through this, and it's definitely a film that takes its time and it goes its way and, like, will suddenly take a detour into, like, the practicality of having the monks do food cultivation in order to address food supply issues at the moment. Like, it's very windy, but it's it's just majestic. Like, I've, I've seen a lot of kung fu films, and there's kind of a standard way, especially with a lot of those Shaw brothers, that they're shot, you know? And, and usually, like, the getting from place to place is kind of shoe leather, and then you... And it's shot fine. You know, it's like there's some people walking through some trees. There's some people walking by a building. And okay, now we're going to shoot the shit out of this fight. And, you know, that's how you're supposed to do it. No one told King Who that. Like, every frame... It's like the difference between watching uh, an average spaghetti western and then you put on Sergio Leone. It's okay. like... This is kind of the same thing, but it's just like... Suddenly it looks so much better and feels so much better and the pace and the tone is so much different. And similar, it's not, despite kind of some of the things I read about it, it's not particularly pretentious at all. I didn't find it remotely that way. And um, so, yeah, so now I'm quite super excited to go see. I've got, um, I think The Fate of Lee Khan is another one of his. And uh, Dragon Inn I have on DVD as well. So I have a few to uh, work through. Wow, that nice. sounds yeah. nuts. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think I've seen any of um, of his... What's his name? King Who? 
King, King K-I-N-G-H-U. H-U. Let's not do um, an Abbott and Costello. No, 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 uh, let's not do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, a Touch of Zen is one that played at the film festival a while I've, ago. Gosh, so there's um, a lot of major ones I've heard of that I've just never, yeah. never seen. Well, I'd actually thought that I had seen Dragon Inn, and then I like somehow realized that I mixed it up with um, another film that's just mostly set in 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 but is not that it's not actually called dragon in and um in terms of kung fu as you did definitely mention um due to you guys talking about it last time i uh i did take on the challenge of the tiger ah yes indeed good good all i can say is boob tennis (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah as, as, as mentioned, it, it delivers on the boob tennis, yes. not so much on the challenging of the tiger. <laughs> the the man who wrote and directed it, who's, um, who's the star, is not the one who is surrounded by boobs and scantily cladness. It's, um, he, he lets uh, the great um, Richard Harrison take on that role. I wonder why he chose to appear in this movie. <laughs> I, I, I think Richard Harrison Richard deserved Williams. that. He, I he, think it's like a, it's just like in a career award. He's, <laughs> he's played the... Um, the <laughs> it's time for your Lifetime award Achievement <laughs> Award. Would you like to be holding a statue or playing topless tennis? <laughs> oh, cool. Well, it's the 70s. I don't, do have, I don't have much mental peace space left. Let's do the boob tennis, shall we? He's, I mean, he's a great action hero who's been around since the 60s, Sword and Sandals. He's um, been one of the most entertaining things in all the, um, all the kung fu stuff that we've seen. Yep. Even if he didn't know he was in it, because he inv- he did he three, just sort of sign up for three out. or four films, and he ended up in about thirty-four. Well, yeah, thanks <laughs> to Godfrey Ho, but he's yeah, and um, he was absolutely having a blast in this one. He even gets to um, stay out of the finale. Yeah, the big final fight. He just sort of stands and watches. You know, at that point in his career, I think he'd, he'd earned enough to, to play boob tennis, and then just just kind of watch other people get it for a change. <laughs> You know, I, I, I've, I've always loved watching Richard Harris and, and, the, and the Godfrey Home movies because he always commits, even when you can tell he has no idea what movie he's making at the time. Richard Harrison. Richard Harrison. Yeah. Yeah. Richard, Richard Harris is completely different. Sorry. It's, it's, yeah, like I say, I've been on holiday. I, I, <laughs> I haven't prepared for this uh, at all. But, yeah, he's, 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 he, he, he always commits to the role, even, as you can tell, he's probably been handed three uh, pages for the entire movie of dialogue and it's just you know this this will be it. and then they just redub it with whatever they want but his his face acting his his acting with that Garfield telephone for uh, <laughs> Golden Ninja Warrior yes, has yeah, become yeah. a meme on the internet and it's it's just a, a beautiful little touch that in a ninja movie you don't expect the head ninja to grab the Garfield telephone and start ordering the deaths of people but he <laughs> made it work somehow <laughs> but it's um Challenge of the Tiger is uh, there's a lot of plot it's um, none of it makes particular sense. <laughs> There's lots of lots of fighting, so, uh, more sex in a kung fu movie than I've seen in a very long, uh, oh, probably yeah. ever. I mean, it's just not that common. Did you ever see Sex and Zen 3D? Not yet. <laughs> I actually saw that at Sylvia Park in 3D. Wow. Yeah, in 3D in 2011. They had Sex and Zen 3D, and uh, ouch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is there much kung fu in that? 
There's some. Yeah, but, you know, it's... There's you know, also other things. It's also, it's like, yeah, you have a kung fu movie and occasionally you need some boobs just to break it up. The Sex and Sensory apparently needed a fight scene or two just to... Yeah, yeah, that's... The wall-to-wall nudity. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen Sex and Sensory, but I've well, seen I Sex and Sensory. Well, I would imagine that yes, would be closer to porn, would it? Or, it's very... Uh, I mean, it played in a movie theater. It's, yeah. But, yeah. So the Debbie yeah. Dezellers, you know, back in the day. Uh, it's R18. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it. <laughs> it's worth mentioning that you can find Challenge of the Tiger on YouTube. Yep. Um, pretty good print, pretty actually. Good print. It would be a DVD, no. I think. It, it might be a rip of yours. the Mondo Macabro DVD, yeah. which, yeah. as I've mentioned before, I bought that with um, uh, For Your Height Only. Um, and I bought For Your Height Only, and Challenge of the Tiger was the bonus feature, and it was one of those where it's, it's like, I'm pretty the sure bonus it's on feature Tubi as well. Trumps so, the, uh, yeah. It is so much fun. I, yeah. I highly recommend it if you just want to put your brain on neutral and just laugh at things. Do that. It is one of the ones I came back to because it's, you know, this year I thought I'm going to rewatch some of the ones that gave me such a, a laugh or such a good time in mm. their cinemas of the past. And it's been probably, I think, about eight years since we played it on a Friday flicks way back in the day. And I've, I've suddenly realised I've still got my copy of Kung Fu Cannibals, which I'm going to give a rewatch to because that is another joyous mess of a, uh-huh. a martial arts mm. Filipino movie which decides in the middle five minutes just to stop and have a party on a boat. And it becomes almost like the, you know, the ballroom scene in The Muppet Show as you go around yeah. people to oh, people. It does it's... that for about five minutes on a boat. And then suddenly we went, oh, shit, that's right. We're going to an island. We should probably get there and start the Kung Fu shit. Sounds kind of like Raw Forest in a way. It is cool. Yeah, it is Raw Forest. That, yeah. that's, that's... As long as it's not Triangle of Sadness. It is I haven't seen it yet. It, 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 I, I do know what's coming. It's actually no. another name for Raw Force, yeah. So I just have a copy. My copy is called Kung Fu. Oh, oh I see. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so okay. You, I was going to say, you guys know that one. but Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the Blu-ray of that. It has, I think it has at least three titles. But I think Well, I mean, it certainly has more genres than any other film. So and a very a drunk Cameron Mitchell. Oh well, I mean, you know, you could have just said Cameron Mitchell. And Vic, <laughs> and well, yeah, and Vic Diaz, if oh, I yeah. remember rightly, is oh, in that. Uh, yeah, it's wonderful. okay. Well, maybe. I, yeah. So what? Yeah. Well, why don't we do your so, number three? Yeah, we'll it's, move on to number three. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, my was, number three. You were no. Your number three is Challenge of the Tiger. No, it wasn't. No, that wasn't. No, that was just preamble. I was just piggybacking on. Right. I thought uh, I said that. No, that's right. No, I thought, right. I thought you had chosen that All as right, one of yours. Very, okay, very now briefly. you get to do another one. Okay, that was clever. <laughs> was it? That got to warn you. I, I don't like the sound of my own voice, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, my number three, as, as everybody knows, um, during the year we have we have Horatoba, we have Giallo January, and of course there's March Noir. Um, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's called Noir Vember. Yeah, but um, <laughs> oh, I'm going to be doing some Noir this month, but I wasn't going to give it a clever title. <laughs> so, um, so for the one Noir film that I have watched <laughs> at March, it's it's a very interesting, very different kind of movie. It's called Alias Nick Beale. From 1949, I'm getting nods from Doug. Who I just know that you no. saw it the other day because you posted it. I don't know anything about oh, it. Oh, okay. Well, then if I saw the title in the uh, library book, which we're using to hold up the microphone, which is a TCM's Dark City, which is a history of Oh, the of Eddie Miller one, yeah. Yeah, History of Forgotten Film Noir. And I spotted yeah. that title as I was slipping through, which caught my eye. And it's, there's a lot of stuff in that book I'm going to have to put. Do you remember yeah. that Felix Feist movie I showed you guys, The Man Who Cheated Himself? Did I show? Yeah, I yeah, oh, so Eddie Mueller introduced that at the film festival right. that I was at because he runs oh, the wow. Noir City Film Festival that happens at the start of the year. I forget if it's January or February in San Francisco, but 
yeah, has his finger in all sorts of film noir pies. And, um, nice. Yeah, yeah. Right, am I going to have to put my hands on head? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Devil, um, Thumb, the Devil Thumbs the Ride, actually, was the one that I'm going to show you. Uh, yeah, yes, that's, that's the that's one you showed us. That's real, great. Um, my God, Felix that is dark, classic. gritty noir. That's <laughs> so how does Elias Nick Beale stack up? Well, it's uh, directed by John John Farrow and starring um, Ray Milland as Nick Beale and Thomas Mitchell, who is... Um, sort of actor that you'd recognise from things. 1949, he he was in Sullivan's Travels as yeah. as the trampy, uh, sort of big, biggish, trampy guy. And he's done lots of films in that right. type of way. In this one, he's essentially our lead character. He's a uh, assistant DA who is trying to nail this um, this drug dealer type guy. Who's um who's a racketeer? There's fingers and lots of pies. He happens to say out loud, "I would sell my soul to nail this guy," and then all of a sudden he gets a um. He gets a message. Uh, a little kid comes in with a, a message for him, saying, "Come to this um, to this warehouse the, or the, this shack and um." It will be worth your while. He goes there and he meets uh, Nick Beale, who's an agent, apparently, in, in quote marks. Um, so is this a bit super noir troll? Oh, wow. And that's our final episode. <laughs> that was a stretch, but not a bad one. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> Overruled. Drinking my wine, I make a rule. <laughs> oh, that's... I, I laughed. I laughed. <laughs> anyway, so He's he... just trying to keep the punters happy. <laughs> so he meets um, Agent Nick Beale, who has um, all the paperwork that he'd ever need to... Um, to nail the guy he wants of course it's been obtained illegally he can't prove that it came um, but he um, he so he needs to weigh up will he do it will he not he does it and then suddenly agent Nick Beale is in his life and slowly he gets um, to go up the 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 food chain and becomes the um, is running for the governor and all from the help right. of Agent Nick Beale. He's still trying to maintain that he's a good person. And, of course, we know that Nick Beale, whenever he turns up, turns up like that, just out of, out of thin air. And, of course, he, he the devil. Right. I thought I was, I was getting slight hints in the way you described that cell to myself thing, but really, because yeah. I thought I said that so subtly. You were subtle, on it, yeah. But. <laughs> so is it Nick Beelzebub? Is oh, that the gag? Oh, there we okay. go. Mm-hmm. It's and it's really good. It's um, it. There's other characters turn up. There's a very sort of. He doesn't quite always commit to being um to selling his soul he doesn't learn until much later on that that's kind of what he's been doing it's will he or won't he get out of it bear in mind this is a film noir so nothing is a guarantee definitely not yeah um and ray Milland is this is a tour de force he just uses all his his smarmy skills and remind me Ray Milland it's a name that I know and I know I've seen a lot but I'm just blanking on what oh, his big roles are um, 
X-Men with X-Ray eyes. Oh, okay. the... Yeah, well, that, that's kind of when Korea was slightly yeah, on the like, decline. Right at the end, but I mean, he's still fucking good at that movie because it's, oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a low budget movie, but it's still got some real. He's in Frogs. Frogs. Oh, yep. yes. But he still Speaking did bit, way yeah, better yeah. things than. I that. mean, you know, he's in the Uninvited is a, a, um, of a 40s great. I've heard of that, I haven't seen that. A great sort of uh, ghosty film. He's done masses of things. Was it? Um, he's done a really big um, drama thing. He's he's great. He's okay. very very good. And this is quite different for him. Oh, he was in uh, Panic at Year Zero, the oh, the yep. one I told you about. Um, the uh, yeah, the post apocalyptic post apocalyptic one. Yep. He's very he's quite British sounding. I'm not entirely sure if he's British or just one of those Americans. That's you guys skipped the lead. The Lost Weekend. He's Lost the weekend. Yeah, that's Lost the one weekend. I was yeah. trying to say. And yes. also, um, which Ministry of Fear, which is what I've seen him recently. Oh, yes, yes, Most yes. of those ones are on my list for my film noir retrospective. I'm going to be doing this month, so I've got um, Blu-rays of those ready to roll. Which so, ones? Uh, Lost Weekend and Ministry of Fear, I think. Is oh wow! Both so you're doing list. a Ray Hunt? Uh, well, I'm doing a whole bunch. I've got a ton. And Dial in exactly for Murder. Land up, uh, watching. Oh yes, of course. Dial they're definitely in. on the list. So yes, it's it's really, really good. It's um, and it's I think it's only about ninety minutes long, so it's sort of a wham bam thing and um, I'm deliberately trying not to tell you too much about it or even I've even neglected a major character that's in it it's it's worth discovering for yourself it's extremely well done great Okay, well, and that was actually your third. That was actually. That was actually. Well, that was that was that was two B. Two B. To be continued, I think, next time around. But I'll go on to my third one, um, which was not part of the the uh, the birthday one. Uh, for a change, the birthday one we actually finished on such a weird combination because we finished on Fear No Evil, and the Tall Guy was our last two films, and oh. Fear No Evil and the Two uh, Tall Guy are two entirely different films. We could talk for ages about Fear No Evil. Oh my God! Yes, it we could was, do a whole podcast about it, Fear No Evil. Things got a little loose there. I think you might have already left at that stage. I had left at that stage, which you were probably lucky because it was a Fear No Evil was a. We thought it was Italian. Turned out to be an American horror slasher. My son is the devil, uh, which was shouted a lot. My son is the devil. My and son then is there the was devil. a part where where we couldn't quite make out. The word yes. we couldn't quite understand what was going no, on, and we, they were mumbling a little. We put the subtitles on, and it, <laughs> and it was the, the craziest thing it we ever did. The noisiest fucking movie we've ever read. To quote one of Birds our friends, chirping, owls hooting, every right. every incidental one. The subtitles because Candle it was on shutter. Candle being snuffed out. Yes, yeah, Al. Yeah. The, sh- the shutter subtitles were just basically <laughs> picked up anything that made a single noise and put it on screen. <laughs> Until everybody was just dying because Food slurping. It was literally just at one stage. It did point. Uh, one of the subtitles literally read "silence," and, <laughs> and it was it definitely made. What we was were it? In a that's, tears. A, that's a good It made one of the a we fairly average tears. movie with an insane ending into one of the funniest fucking group experiences I've had in a long time. <laughs> I think actual serious film buffs would have stabbed each and every of one of us And they would have had every right to. Exactly. We would have deserved it. So, yeah, that was a, a, a mix. But a couple of days later, on my own, I, I wanted to watch a movie, and I wanted to do something entirely different, something that I had thought about for the the, the birthday but didn't do. Uh, I'm going to give you the um, the tagline for it and see if you recognize what this one is. The baddest one-chick hit squad that ever hit town. 
and that would be Pam Goddamn Greer and Coffee. Right. Oh, which I haven't oh, seen that's in probably a long, the best long time. one of, out of those. Coffee and Foxy Brown are two of the, mm. the you know, that two those two are amazing. This is nineteen seventy three directed by Jack Hill, who did a ton of mm. exploitation films, but good This is the most films. unrestrained one though, too, I think. It's it, it is a lot. It's it's violent. I mean mm. if you if yeah. you're not into on screen violence, this one is, is going to turn you off, but yeah, Coffee, she don't take a lot of shit from people, and there's a lot of people giving her shit. And, she and that equation doesn't end well it for It does anybody. not end well for mm. anybody. Jack Hill, he, I'll just give you a, a background, he directed uh, The Big Dollhouse, he directed Foxy Brown, Switchblade 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 Sisters, Sisters, Spider Sisters, Baby. Spidey Baby. <laughs> Absolutely a ton of them. Sorceress, one of the you know, great 80s director video, mm-hmm. Sleazefest. But yeah, Coffee was great, not only because of Pam Grebber, who was one of my favourite actresses of the 70s of all time but the supporting cast you had the classic Sid Haig is in there playing a bastard there's a surprise uh, but the one that threw me entirely was Alan Arbus mm-hmm. and I looked at Alan Arbus and I went I know him and he started to Mash. talk and I went Mash because he plays the Sydney, he plays uh, the, uh, yeah, the psychologist the psychologist there yeah, Dr. Sydney but here he's playing an Italian drug dealer mafia guy mm. and he starts off and he's such a nice guy. He's just a really jocular, fun guy. And then he gets no, he into isn't. a scene by himself with coffee. And he's a gigantic piece of shit. And he changes <laughs> so fast on a dime. Never seen... I mean, he's once again in MASH. He's the nicest guy mm. possible. But here he gets to eat the scenery and be a complete and utter bastard. And you are just willing coffee on to plow her way through the dozens of disposable henchmen, which he does, and Sid Haig, which he does, and Sid Haig gets, oh, a nasty scene uh, to uh, to finish off his run on the movie. His his ass is is almost literally handed to him. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 nasty. But as I say, it's it's nasty. But if you can handle the some of the violence that happens in that movie, because it it maybe it's over the top, but it also feels justified because. You can see the movie is that Coffee's little sister has is in hospital in psychiatric hospital after tainted heroin. So right. and she her boyfriend is a cop who's trying to take down drug dealers, but all the other cops around are dirty as dirty cops can be in the seventies, which is pretty fucking dirty. And when he is turns out to be the cop that won't take the money, oh, it, let's just say his part in the movie ends abruptly <laughs> and violently. And at that point, this one chick hit squad does exactly what it says in the tin, and has this great thing, which apparently Pam Gray came up with herself, of hiding weapons in her hair. And I'm, we're talking, it, once she starts threading razor blades into her afro, right. it's like, this next scene is not going to be pretty. And, there's, a, yeah. um, there's a scene in, is it Black Dynamite, or is it some other film where somebody takes a baseball bat? Baseball out of there. Yeah, it's basically um, based on it. She, yeah, she pulls yeah. some big shit out of there. I... I I think years ago I saw this probably 15 odd years ago and I had a vision in my head of her pulling a big fucking gun out of there but that, unfortunately that was just in my head oh. that uh, the trailer actually shows her holding the gun pulling something out of her afro and then she's got the gun didn't actually pull the big fucking gun out of her afro but she pulled some <laughs> a lot of stuff she could hide in there and she is just phenomenal in this movie as I said Foxy Brown was one of my favourites of all time seen this for the second time has put it right up there and mm. I would have to watch those side by side to decide which one is best I, I, just, I, I find this one maybe a little I, I 
think I prefer this one because it goes a little bit further. It's just mm. a, a little bit... Foxy Brown feels a little bit more homogenized compared to... I made a mistake of watching a bunch of them all at the same time, Mm. and so which ones which kind of runs together Yeah, well, because I need to definitely do a revisit. There's Friday, Friday Foster. Friday Foster Foster we did for this. Yeah, we did for here, which has that super light touch to it. Yeah, well, that's almost the kids' version. Yeah, Foxy Brown is is definitely tougher, and Coffee is balls to the wall tough. Yeah, it's, it's a real slice of 70s exploitation. But... As I say, if you like that sort of thing, and I can do, yeah, that's coffee mm, is, is well worth coming back that. to. That's excellent. Have you guys, as an aside, uh, one of the films I watched that I wasn't going to talk about, but, you know, I'll find it. What right, the hell? Done, yeah. <laughs> um, Elvis Mitchell's uh, Is That Black Enough For You on Netflix. I, I haven't seen I've it yet, no. I've been intending to watch it. Um, yeah. I'll skip to so it. So I finally, uh, yeah, I finally did watch it, and it's quite a quite good documentary on the sort of the rise and fall of uh, black exploitation. Yep. With um, uh, a lot of throwback elements to its precursors in the <laughs> whole prehistory of black independent cinema and things, it struggles a bit between. Um, I think Elvis Mitchell has some really interesting theories about trends and and things, mm-hmm. um, but it falls into. And then this movie came out, and then this movie came, and it feels uh, like he probably had a four hour script that he hacked a, a bunch of stuff out of. And so there's some strange repetitions and some feel, feelings like, and kind of like why it stopped isn't really all that clear because it's like, well, the the closest it comes to it is like Hollywood was making movies with good guys who were bad or tortured and like only African-Americans were making like, actually, these are guys that we're really rooting for. This isn't the complicated mm. hero. This is the actual hero you know and you know this is the person that you're fully behind and then in the second half of the 70s like that started to you know star wars is obviously the mm-hmm. quintessential example of that started to become a popular entertainment and so so it, it it'll definitely t- introduce you to movies you haven't heard before it'll make you fonder of Hel- harry belafonte than you might have thought you ever would be i um, mean no matter how much you already like him he's just uh, very bluntly spoken about the roles that he chose not to do and why he didn't do them and why he is not as big of a movie star as he is everywhere else do because... they talk about the the film he did with robert ryan the um no uh, oh god what's odds it? against tomorrow yeah yes yes that's that features because Poitier's uh, career is contrasted yeah. because Poitier was um, willing to take the roles that Belafonte mm. uh, didn't. Odds so, Against Tomorrow is amazing. Yeah. I have the Blu-ray if you have. I'd really love it. to see that actually because yeah. that's I was proposing that we do something about. Um, I, I'm actually trying to find films where the protagonists are vibraphonists, but I didn't get very <laughs> far on that because Poitier is a vibraphonist. But then it was like um, I was looking up films where the protagonist is a percussionist but it isn't like a whiplash or a drumline or a film about them being a drummer it's just that's the background but is that great Othello movie with Patrick McGowan yeah that's um yes we have to talk to our friend Nick who got us uh, to watch that years ago see a drummer in that uh no but the but the well it's Othello so the Othello guy I think is the drummer is the drummer I see it's the um the man with the golden arm was the one I'd been thinking of. Oh but, yeah, um, well that's that's depending yeah, depending on if it's actually and, the if, guy. and if we just combine that with some kind of wonderful because uh, she's a drummer on that. Ooh, okay, there look we go. That. Look at us the spitballing stuff on the spot. Oh, right. <laughs> 
Um, it's jazz, baby. Anyway, so yeah, it's, bi- <laughs> it's biodigital jazz. Um, actually, so I'll, I'll use that for one of my precursors. So I had two like, kind of other big trends to my viewing this year. One was, or this past month, one was new releases in part cramming for that Scandies thing. Um, and two I'll briefly mention. One is Crimes of the Future, which I finally caught up with. Good. The Cronenberg film. One, it yeah. is good. It's a bit strange, but it also is really fucking funny. Um, okay. I did not expect that. Kirsten Stewart, Kristen Stewart's amazing in it. Don McKellar's nearly as much. And, oh, wow. And it is, it is, yeah, it's a bit, it's gross, but it, it posits a future where um, infection is a thing of the past. And so you can... And, and people don't feel pain. So you could do performance art where you cut yourself open or do surgery and stuff. And it's just, it is what it is. And it heals and you move on. And there's and it's like, well, if there's no harm. And, and that's actually one of about 13 ideas Cronenberg's thrown in it. And all the marketing around it was these really dark posters and really mm. kind of... Um, and it is shot well, in some strange places in Greek. What they t- seem to show in the posters. Yeah, and there's quite there is a bit of that, and it's certainly not for the ultra squeamish. But I I resisted. I wasn't sure. I I skipped seeing it in a theater because I wasn't sure. And it's like, oh, this is actually really tongue in cheek a lot of the time. Not so much specifically with the surgery, but like. You know the people well, who put the, 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 they could, yeah. The, the, the people who work for the company who are like impressed by the technology of the various because they're using old machines that were intended to be for um, dissecting cadavers to do stuff oh, instead wow. of things. Okay. But like, but it just becomes like that. They're nerds that think that the same thing is like when I have our um, oven repairman sh- show up and he's like. Your landlord still has this oven from the sixties. I'm going to send pictures and send it to uh, my friends <laughs> at home to show them they're still in service. So that and the other one, um, which uh, comes out today, which I did not even expect to um, f- care much about, um, "Living" with Bill Nye, ah. which is the remake of Akira Kurosawa's Akira, mm. and it's done by a South African director I knew very little about, but it's done in a very, again, very old school style, four by three. 50s very expressionist angles and just um nails it and is somehow really relevant wow um so that's i really highly advocate for seeing that film uh and and in the cinema because it is it is a quiet film in a lot of ways and so i think if you watch in a distraction environment Uh, it won't do its full thing but and it has a lot to do especially like, I was really skeptical about the translation, but uh, the novelist Kazuo Ishiguro mm. translated it, and he's he also did Remains of the Day. And yeah. so he understands the repression in Japanese culture and British culture. And so as a work of translation, it's just exquisite. And I've been married to a British person long enough to watch a scene where nothing is said. Words are spoken, but nothing is said. Mm. But everything is unsaid and it just, it just how firmly that can land. And Bill Nye, it's excellent. Yeah, yeah. Sure. There's no no trace of irony in it. I don't oh, yeah. have a lot of patience for um, the Rebian, you know, yeah. you on the side, Bill Nye, and he did not show up for this film. He Brilliant. just. Um, I need to give that a go. Yeah, well, it's yeah. good. It's good to see. I mean, a lot of the older actors now getting these lead roles that in movies that you know. It's it's always been you know you got to have the young stars and then you get these quiet films. Toby Jones is getting a lot of yeah, lead roles first and cow, really interesting yeah. looking films. Mm. And I've seen the trailers. Sound, yeah. And it's just kind of 
oh look me you know you see that recognizable face and then you suddenly go this actually looks quite interesting for yeah. something that i normally wouldn't have gone out of my way to see you but... have to give detectorists to go the tv show if you enjoy Toby i watched Jones. series one I, I i it was okay but at the same time there was something about it i well, I think it's Slightly easy for kind of us sending, who... maybe? I don't know. Oh, okay. It's, I think for us it's easier because we grew, grew up with British television. British television, yeah. It, what it most like, and I know you won't get this reference, Doug, <laughs> is a very profane version of Last of the Summer Wine. Oof, okay. It's, yes, um, no, the, the, Doug is looking blank. But. Yeah, it's... Yeah. <laughs> well, Last of the Summer Wine is three old coots who are in their pensioners' days... Mm who um, try to find some time to, um, to while the, the day yeah, away. And they usually have weird contraptions mm. or um, a bath that goes underwater or yeah. weird, silly things. Right. And this is kind of along that because they're, um, they're metal detectors. They really haven't got much going on mm. in their lives. And this is how they while away their day. And it's, um, mm. it's very quiet I mean, you've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it it's yeah. very quiet, but it's also quite funny. I didn't get the the sneeringness to it. Uh, maybe maybe I found it sad in a way, and it's hard. Yeah. To, it's hard to articulate. It's well, How that's much also a very was, British thing. Yeah, mm. there's there's a there's a, a hint of sadness in pretty much every British mm. sitcom, mm. no matter how funny it is. So anyway, I was just going to end my preface. Yes, yeah, please. Yes, my, with um to get to my actual film so also as i think i mentioned to you guys i went to hospital and i spent a night there and so the first night there i couldn't do anything but then the next day i was waiting around for bloody ages and mm-hmm. i'm like oh well i have my phone i can watch and i so i wound up watching like four music documentaries in two days while i was recuperating five actually as well as am i black enough for you um and um i thought a lot about music documentaries because there tend to be two kinds um one is you know the I will tell you this person's career from the beginning to end and tell you how great they are. And then the other is I'll just get out of the way and let the musicians uh, do it themselves. Mm-hmm. And so in the latter category, one that I want to mention because he just passed away is a film about Wayne Shorter and his quartet called The Language of the Unknown, which is about 53 minutes. It's on YouTube. Um, Wayne Shorter was in everything from, you know, Miles Davis's second classic quintet to Weather Report to playing with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. It just he played on Steely Dan's Asia, he played with Joni Mitchell, the list just goes mm-hmm. on and on. Um and he played at some festival in I think Sweden. And these guys had two days, maybe a weekend, and they're like, okay, we're not gonna try to tell the story of this. We're just gonna shoot this concert and we're gonna shoot interviews with these guys watching the footage of the concert and talking about what they're doing. So it's partially a performance film and partially kind of explaining because this quartet is um, very improv-based. And so finding a way into that music, um, it's still ultimately, like, if you don't have the appeal of free jazz, I don't think it'll transcend it. But if you're kind of looking for a way in, I don't know that I've seen anything better. The problem with most music documentaries, right, is... If you don't like the music, why are you bothering? I mean, you know, as great as I think Stop Making Sense is, if Talking Head just drives you up the wall, then, you know, it, you might point. conceptually appreciate it, but whatever. So the one film I found that is the complete exception to this is called Filmage, the story of Descendants slash all. And the Descendants were on SST, which is a label 
famous for Sonic Youth, Husker Du, The Minutemen, uh, Soundgarden put out their first album on it, Black Flag, the guy who ran Black Flag started the label, um, basically all the classic Southern California punk stuff. And Descendants were on it, and I knew they existed, but they were kind of pop punk, and then they were also a little weird, and then they changed into another band called All, which had a different singer, but it was the same guy. It was just really confusing, <laughs> and and then when like Green Day and all the pop punk stuff hit hit big, they were like, um, everyone was like, oh, well, you know, we t- we took everything we know from the Descendants, and at that point, I was not into that kind of stuff. I was into the weirder, noisier stuff. So I'm like, screw you and the people you influenced. <laughs> um, uh, and so. The, that filmage manages to tell this story of um, through the drummer of both those bands, Bill Stevenson, who's possibly one of the is the only consistent member through forty five years now, um, and the film lives and dies, and specifically lives on his just incredible energy and charisma and how nuts he. I mean, these are guys who were just like would grow up and fish together and were like goofballs and then decided to start a band and they'd write songs about fishing or food. Like, oh, that food, food is good. You know, or they songs about coffee. <laughs> um, and and so it's just like, wow, this guy is really quirky. And then, and, and they just, it's one of those, like, there's a lot of people talking about how great he is, but it's like, there's a lot. Like, they've got lots of stories. There's lots of people who were in the band and came through and, um, and you get, a, and about 70 minutes in, it's like, oh, this feels like a pretty satisfying film. And then the last 20 minutes hit, which is the actual emotional, like, steamroller of the film, where, through ways I won't get into, he almost dies twice. And um, and coincidentally, one of the guys who saves him one of the times, who's a doctor, is also an OG Descendants Hall Black Flag fan. Bill, Bill also played for Black Flag um, recently, briefly. And it's just one... I mean, I do have... An interest in the milieu, Mike Watt, who's in the Minutemen, talks during it, and the Minutemen were a super important band to me. But it was just one of those films where I'm like, wow, this is just such an amazing story. And and there's also certain things that are kept to the side through the whole thing, like his family history. And there's a lot of films that just ignore family history. And so when that finally comes in at the end, that's a whole other thing. Um, so, yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. Um, it may be on Tubi or other things as well. I think um, I have but, seen, uh, I've definitely seen the, the splash screen for it, and I think either on Tubi or yeah. Bond, but it's... Yeah, it's one I that I really strongly am advocating for. Yeah, it's a band I've, yeah. I've never listened to, but... Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, I've, I've found a lot of the music documentaries, you know, even if I have only vaguely yeah. know the band, that there is a lot of good ones out there. Which, it reminded me yeah. a bit of, um, it doesn't have as much observational stuff, but of a band called Death. Okay, yep. Um, in a certain way of a band that was influential but never quite found its audience at the time and that the characters are really powerful for. Nice. Okay, um, is, uh, how are we doing? Well, I, think I think we should... Probably yeah, we're just... I think we're, we're, close we're coming yes. to a close. So anyone with some one-line reviews, mm-hmm. I've got a couple of one-line reviews, so these are the ones we're not going to go into depths on. Mm-hmm. Um, the 1981's Looker, uh, directed by Michael ah, Crichton. Ah, the Albert Finney. Oh, yeah. Yes, um, if you watch it at 3 o'clock in the morning, you will have a really fucking weird time, but you're probably worth it. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to try to explain it because it broke my fucking brain. Uh, Solemn King, uh, which is now out on Blu-ray, <laughs> is amazeballs, and that's all I'm going to say about that. And Lake Mungo, the Australian... Ooh, great film. Yeah, it's just a nice 
slow burn creep film. It's not... Ooh. You're never going to leap at your seat going, oh my god, it's well, just... Hey, it's possible. It's just creepy <laughs> as fuck. Uh, and I liked it. So that's my three one-liners. All right, well, I'll do a quick three. Um, cocaine beer is pure entertainment. There, there'll <laughs> be critics who who'll say it just doesn't quite measure up and what have you, and it's just... It's actually funny. It's very gory. And it's just a fun, fun time. (laughs) And even if you just enjoy the first half, which is definitely the better part of the movie, that's worth it for that. Margot Martindale, one of my favourite actors of the past 10, 15 years, just gives a beautifully comedic, horny performance (laughs) (laughs) comedically horny i like it it's oh she's yeah and and the fact that she's hitting on um what's his name it's the guy from modern family um uh yeah i I didn't know who um but yeah who who's um a very openly gay actor who um and he's playing a possibly heterosexual in this but we don't know (laughs) but the fact is that any everybody in the audience recognized and all reacted the same way <laughs> it's yeah a lot of fun so that was faster that wasn't as fast as a few seconds but yeah that one's a, a great deal of fun also saw the anime wong film king of chinatown that's about 63 minutes long it's absolutely unique in the fact that she is anime wong a is a, there's a character in Babylon that is very much based on anime Wong. She's an Asian actress. She's an Asian uh, from actress from Hollywood. the um, from very early Hollywood. This would be about 1933, and um, she's playing a a top surgeon, um, who is an Ameri- um, American Asian. She knows her own mind, and she's the hero of the film. It's, I mean. This stuff barely exists now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was a really she was gave a very good performance as a very entertaining movie, and I, I won't go too much more into that. And I saw a great documentary um, called Groucho and Cavett about uh, Dick Cavett's experiences with Groucho Marx. Uh, he became a good friend of Groucho, and Groucho appeared. So, uh, because of the friendship on his interview show. So um, he got to know Groucho in his early career because they appeared at a... um, uh, They were at a funeral of a a great uh, writer together and they sort of met from there. Um, and it's it's great. It's got some amazingly wonderful and poignant performances from Groucho, and I'm just such a huge Groucho Marx fan that it's and also a Dick Cavett fan, so it, it ticks all the boxes. Nice. Highly recommend it. I can't remember. Did I mention Arcadia last time? Duh. No, remember. Arcadia is sort of a found footage folk horror film. That's Ooh. kind of an as- assemblage. Uh, British film that I, I really highly recommend. Um, BFI re- has released a Blu-ray of it. It came out a few years back. 
uh, well worth tracking mm. down. It sort of reminds me also of like Bill Morrison and some of those guys who play with film decay and stuff like that. Um, Skinnamarink, have you guys watched? Oh, I'd yet? be meaning to. Not I seen know it yet. That probably we, we, some of the group have seen it. So I, I went to the Hollywood screening, and um, which was a mixed bag only because there was a rowdy audience um, member, but it it was very effective on the big screen, despite being incredibly grainy and weird. And um, I've seen sort of three schools of thought: people who really love it, people who hate it because it's not scary enough, and people who hate it because he's ripping off experimental filmmakers and he's not as good as Michael Snow. And it's like. <laughs> Michael Snow is not trying to creep you out. I mean, I think this is, it comes from this world of creepypasta and all this stuff, but it's one of the most minimal, strange uh, horror films I've seen in a long time to get this sort of big release, and it's pretty special, I I'm thought. literally trying yeah. to block myself out of anything because I've only seen, not even a trailer, but just a screenshot on the splash screen of Shudder, and it... it Oh, it's, kind on of got me, it's on Shutter, and I oh, kind good. of looked at that and went, we'll I'm not sure I want to watch this alone because this looks creepy as fuck just from a still image. I'll hold your hand. Oh, how nice. Um, <laughs> and the film I'll end on, which uh, is on Netflix, is a film called Descendant by a woman named Margaret Brown, who's a documentarian who actually came to New Zealand a dog's age ago for the Towns Van Zant film she did, Be Here to Love Me. Uh, this is a very different film. It's set in a community where the last slave boat, the um, uh, people who were on the last slave boat to ever land in America many years after it was outlawed, landed. And the boat was then, because it was, the practice was illegal at the time of importing slaves, even though owning slaves was still legal, the boat was sent off to sea and burned and never found. Wow. And so uh, some people think they have a lead on where it actually is. So it's this story about this community that is exists as the descendants of those uh, slaves, but also then as descendants of those slave owners. And the impact that this impending discovery Ooh. and what it might mean for the town uh, is about to happen. And it's... Uh, it's a really intelligent documentary. It's really nicely observational. It doesn't tell you what to think. It doesn't do a lot of sit-down interviews or voiceover. It just watches stuff happen and people, like, putting their foot in their mouth so far it's coming out the other end. Oh like, there's a bit where they about to unveil this painting that they did of what life would have been like on the boat. And it's like, and here we have this wonderful painting. And somebody says... It's like, I don't know if we should call it wonderful. And you open it and it's just like picture of the people standing on the white people standing on the deck. And they're the black people, you know, just piled like sardines underneath because that was the truth of the thing. And you have these people who are ancestors who are white, who are desperately trying to find a way that their dad who was on that boat. Well, he was supposed to be a lot nicer than the other ones. You know? <laughs> he didn't actually whip them and stuff. Yeah. And, um, but, and it, but it's actually a lot, of, a lot more than that as well. It's about how those structural inequities that started then uh, come into the community today. Descendant, Netflix, amazing. Netflix, nice. right. Fantastic. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, come back in a couple of weeks and we will be doing a podcast based around Cape Fear. But which Cape Fear, you might ask? Because there's many more than you think. The answer might surprise you, but don't feel obligated to watch Cape Fear XXX because we won't be talking about it. And if you do, probably don't tell us about it. All right. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers.